This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 196, Brett Reinsmith, The Value of Adventure Sports and Trekking in Europe. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by BiotropicLabs.com, custom formulators and sports performance supplements for active people like you. Designed for everyone from weekend warriors and outdoor enthusiasts to high-level athletes, if your body moves, you need Biotropic. Hi friends, happy Monday to you. Kurt here. Hey, the Adventure Sports Podcast has thousands and thousands of listeners now, and we are very, very thankful for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about the Adventure Sports Podcast and for being a part of the Adventure Sports Podcast community. Hey, we wanted to say thank you. One way to say thank you is we're going to start making community announcements about special events. So if you have an adventure sports style event coming up and you would like us to help get the word out, please go to adventuresportspodcast.com, email us there, and we're going to start making really brief announcements so that all of you in the adventure sports community can hear about upcoming events. These might be charity events, special adventure sports events. If it's related to adventure sports or a worthwhile function, then we want to help out. So please do go to the Adventure Sports Podcast and email us. We'll see what we can do to help get the word out to the adventure sports community. Thanks again for listening. And now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have a special returning guest, and I've been working to get this guy back on now for some months, but the reality is he's such an adventurer that he's generally out of the country or off on some long backpacking trip or mountaineering expedition, and he's a hard guy to catch up with, but I am really excited that we got Brett Rhinesmith back on the show today. Brett was with us all the way back on episode five. So he is one of our founding guests who helped us kick off the show two years ago, and well, nearly two years ago. And so it's exciting for me to have him back on again. Brett is an entrepreneur, and that provided him with the opportunity to have an adventure-based lifestyle, and he pursued it with a vengeance. He's done quite a lot of mountaineering. He does rock and ice climbing, backpacking and trekking, canyoneering, skiing and ski mountaineering. He does whitewater kayaking, whitewater rafting, sea kayaking, canoeing, scuba diving. Brett, you're a man after my own heart. I think that you and I love the same sports. Well, thanks, Kurt. Yeah, it is um, it is fun to be able to do all these things. Well, tell us a little bit about it. I know that our guests are sitting there going, well, this guy's always on the road doing stuff. And how did how did that get started? Well, you know, I, when I was growing up, I gravitated to, to outdoors and always wanted to do those kind of things. While I was raising a family for the last 20 years, I didn't get to do it as much as I wanted to. But now that I, uh, my kids are grown up, I never gave up on those dreams. And so now 
uh, with my uh, wonderful wife, Bonnie, uh, we we're able to, to go out and to do a lot of different things. And it's been been fantastic. Well, right now I caught up with you in a cabin in the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming. And you guys recently have been refurbishing this cabin, right? Yeah, yeah. We just got that that done uh, the end of last year and then just finished doing the, the final decorations this year. And so it turned out just fantastic. Why the Bighorn Mountains? Um, in 2003, my work brought me up here, and it is a fabulous place. Um, uh, Wyoming is the least populated state in, in the nation, and uh, the Bighorns, while there's a lot of people that like to enjoy them, compared to other places like Colorado where you're at, you just don't get as many people in the backcountry. And so it is a, a fun place to go. Great fly fishing. Uh, the rock climbing is just being discovered around this area. Uh, backpacking up in the Cloud Peak Wilderness. Just got back from a three-day trip with Bonnie uh, there and, and doing some fly fishing, and it was just fabulous. So it's a beautiful place, and, and we fell in love with it and, and are glad to be here. Well, it sounds delightful. You know, I think some of our listeners might have a similar question to myself, and, and the deal is, Brett, I deal with a lot of black bears where we live up in the mountains, and... Yep. You know, dealing with black bears and mountain lions and that sort of thing, I'm used to that. It's the unknown that's scary. And when I think of uh, Wyoming and points north, I always think about the grizzly bear. And I, I just have to throw that out there. Give us a perspective about hiking and camping and working around such a big animal that can be somewhat volatile. You know, I, I think it's um, like a lot of things in the backcountry, probably one of the key things that that if you can take with you into the backcountry is prevention. And um, I, I've had an opportunity to get my wilderness first uh, responder or woofer training. And, and you learn a lot of interesting things in that and things that, that may help save somebody's life. But the key thing in that training is I don't want to have to use any of that stuff. I want to prevent it. Avalanche. I've had my Abbey 1, Abbey 2 training. And, you know, you can get into snow science and, and doing pits and, and analyzing. But the key thing to take away from your avalanche training is prevention, avoidance. And that's the same thing when it comes to um, to the bears. Having uh, good camp hygiene, keeping your camping, uh, your cooking area away from your sleeping area. We uh, used bear canisters on this trip to try to keep the smells contained in, in avoidance. That That's the key thing. And so we've been up in Alaska. Uh, two years ago, we were up in Alaska backpacking in a place called Kasugi Ridge. Known bear area, you know, tons of blueberries out at the kind of type of terrain and in time of year in which we could run into some bears. And again, we just followed that, that, that good hygiene in our camps and in keeping things in those bear canisters and uh, never had a problem. And so, you know, I, I hope that that's the way we can continue to enjoy the backcountry here in Wyoming and up in Montana. But it's that avoidance that's uh, in prevention. That's the best approach. Well, have you had run-ins with grizzly bears? You know, I haven't. I, I haven't seen signs of, of bears in the backcountry. Um, I've seen some black bears, but uh, have never had uh, any kind of a run in with them at all. I kind of chuckled to myself the other day as I thought about it. We went camping in Wyoming, southern Wyoming, this spring and had a delightful time. But we wanted to go farther north. And one of the reasons that we hesitated besides the distance was, well, we, the farther north you go, the more you get into bear country. And 
it was like, well, all the precautions that go with that, and I'm not going to sleep quite as well at night because I'm just not used to it. As I was pondering all of this, I realized I live in the front range of Colorado where there's a a high occurrence of mountain lion attacks. Mm-hmm. And we've had several fatalities over the last, I don't know, several years. And if, it, as I look at that, I kind of chuckle to myself because I think that probably the mountain lion attacks right where we live um, are more common and devastating than the grizzly bear attacks in that same period of time. Isn't that interesting? And, and we've got uh, a lot of mountain lions in the uh, eastern face of the Bighorn Mountains. We go in the backcountry you know, almost on a daily basis, uh, whether it's for training runs or just getting out. And, uh, y- you know, I think that, that as long as you're not pursuing in, uh, those animals and cornering them, giving them an out, they're wanting to stay away from us as much as we may want to be staying away from them. You know, where we live, the the moose, uh, and, and I think you've had that issue in the front range of Colorado also, you know, they can uh, be deadly, um, mainly because their eyesight's poor, and you can come up and approach them, get too close, then all of a sudden it startles them, and then they'll attack. So I think with all, all animals, you know, that's um, just giving them wide berth, using good techniques is, is going to keep you safe in the backcountry. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I just think it's interesting from a psychology standpoint why we would be hesitant to go into grizzly country when we live every day in mountain lion country. You know what I'm saying? But it's what you're accustomed to that you think is okay. Exactly. And the reality is we get in a car and drive to work. Well, holy cow, that's more dangerous than any of this stuff. <laughs> you know, and speaking of moose, I'm going to I got to throw a story out here. I haven't had a chance to tell this one yet, but on our uh, nine day backpacking trip that we just got back from through the Holy Cross wilderness, uh, one morning I awakened to the sound of tromping and I was like, oh, man, what is that? And I we sleep under tarps to save weight instead mm-hmm. of tents. And so we're pretty open. And so I looked out and there was a baby moose and it was just kind of stomping all over our campsite. And so I woke up my my two sons that were with me. I said, don't get out of your bags, but be awake. (laughs) And then we looked, and there was the mama moose right there in our campsite, too. And so I was like, oh, boy, now we've got an escalation factor here, mom and a baby, you know. And the baby moose walked up to Caleb, and he didn't get right in his face, but they were nose to nose. And that moose was trying to figure out who Caleb was inside of his sleeping bag. And Caleb was just frozen eye to eye with this thing. And luckily, the moose didn't panic. No one got scared. It was a beautiful exchange. But having those moose in our campsite potentially could have been as dangerous as a grizzly bear. I couldn't agree more. And what I mean, yes, why do why do you do this? It's for those kind of moments. Those are just uh, a very special and unique times that you share. And not only will you never forget, but you'll always remember times like that. Oh yeah, and. You know, the the reality was that there is an element of danger, but that's really the element of excitement. And the odds of something going bad were pretty low. And we did the right things. We just stayed calm and stayed in our bags and just kind of observed. And uh, the baby moose spooked a couple of times, but the mama moose, you know, the, the cow never did have any concerns or worries. So it was an amazing experience just to get to see him up close and, and to be a part of that. Nice. Yeah, really fun. And I know that you have had those experiences all over the world. Um, you're an adventure traveler in addition to you know being an adventure sports enthusiast. 
And in the pre-interview, Brett, I was having a hard time deciding, well, what should we spend time on? Because you've done so much. I think we could probably do a dozen or two dozen interviews with you and never have to cover the same material twice. Let's talk about just what's been going on in the last, say, two years of your life, just so people get a feel for what the lifestyle is about. Yeah, in the last two years, like our our last big adventure was going to uh, the eastern Himalayas, a place called Sikkim. Uh, which is located between Bhutan and in Nepal. And uh, we were on a 17-day trek in, in that area near, and we went up to a place called Gochila Pass. Um, that After that trip, uh, just about two years ago, we got involved with life again, where we were uh, bought this cabin, refurbished it. Uh, our daughter graduated from college. We got a chance as, as she was graduating. That was just over three years ago to, to do a, a trip with her before she started her first job in Guatemala. And now not only has she been teaching second grade in Guatemala, but she's married and, and, and starting uh, that next phase of her life in Guatemala. And uh, so we've been kind of busy between this cabin project, uh, getting a chance to meet her her husband and his family, and then uh, doing some wedding planning. Uh, that's been, been awfully fun. So you had Guatemala. Um, I also know that, you know, over the last couple of years, you've been helping out from time to time with the Outdoor Leadership Program, doing backpacking trips with them, and plus exploring the the mountains where you are up there. And but in previous years, I think perhaps you were even busier with a lot of adventures. You know, we I, I was. I, I had an opportunity to uh, to climb in in Alaska and climb Denali. We've been taking a. I, I don't know if I talked to you about this one river trip we took in in uh, eastern Oregon up into Washington. It was a 110 mile kayaking whitewater kayaking trip on the Grand Ronde River, which was just beautiful. You know, so it's 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 just been varied. And I saw a quote. I think it was a. Uh, um, uh, Royal Robin had, uh, or maybe no, it was Fred Becky. He said, it, you know, when anybody asked him to, uh, if he wanted to go climb, he did. And I think that's where you, you get a chance to, to really experience a lot of things. And, and I, through either students that I've taught or friends that I've made, you get a lot of invitations to, to trips. And uh, I've got one right now that I've got to decide on over Labor Day weekend to go uh, whitewater kayaking on the Rogue River in, in Oregon. And, uh, you know, there's you know only so many limited time that you've got, whether uh, you've got a lot of time like I've got or whether you're trying to fit this in on weekends. Um, and, and you just want to make the most of every opportunity that you can. Oh, that's neat. Let's rewind and back up. Let's let's get the the big picture here. Um, you were an entrepreneur, and it provided you with the opportunity to do lots of things. You could have chosen a lot of different lifestyles, but you chose an adventure focused lifestyle. Tell us what the rewards have been, and what some maybe some of the challenges have been. Um. Yeah, the the rewards. Well, let me, let me start with the challenges. The challenges, and Bonnie and I just talked about this uh, on our last trip that we were on. For a lot of our time prior to selling uh, selling our business, uh, we weren't able to do a lot of these things, and so we had to put those dreams on hold. We had to spend a lot of time, you know, working not a forty hour work week. You know, if we could get an eighty hour work week, we were happy. You know, uh, you know, sometimes it was even more than eighty hours, and so we had to forgo a lot of. Um, a lot of plans and, and missed out on some things. But in the end, it's worked out for us that now after selling this business, it's freed us up to have the time and the resources 
um, and, and still at a relatively young age that we can still be active and do that. The rewards have, have been immense. Um, we've gotten to know each other um, better and, and to learn more about each other. Uh, our, our marriage has grown deeper as we've uh, gone through struggles and trials and, and then also shared in these experiences in the outdoors. And so it's, it's been fun, and we've learned more about each other. Yeah, congratulations. You know, marriages <laughs> that last that long are kind of a rarity these days, so good for you guys. Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, you mentioned before we turned on the recording here that there was a special trip you took seven or eight years ago where you did a tour of Mount Blanc with Bonnie, and you mentioned then that that was a marriage-building experience. Let's dive into that one. I think it sounds really interesting, and it it combines adventure travel, it backpacking and trekking, and maybe a little bit of what it's like to be around amazing mountains. So let's go into the details of that. How did you guys decide to do this tour of Mount Blanc? Our daughter, Sadie, graduated from high school in 2009, and... The one, one thing we didn't want to have happen when we, and she was our youngest child, so we're empty nesters now. And we didn't want to get to that point in life where we looked at each other and said, who are you? I don't like who you are. Let's just get a divorce. We don't, we've raised our kids. And that was the last thing that we wanted. So as we started approaching this empty nest phase, we thought, you know what would be really nice is let's, let's do a trip together. And so we decided um, after doing a little bit of research to do Tour Mont Blanc. And Tour Mont Blanc is 110 mile uh, circumventing uh, uh, the Mount Blanc Massif, and it it is going up and down valleys through three countries. We started out in Switzerland, went into Italy, and then uh, into France, and then back to Switzerland. And um, as you're going up and down the the change in elevation, you'll you'll go up 33,000 vertical feet and back down 33,000 vertical feet. And so, um, and it's just you know, in my mind, every mountain gets measured against the Alps. We, you know, talk about Alpine country and Alps uh, in, in Colorado around Ure or, you know, the Southern Alps in, in New Zealand. And once you've been to the to this area, you understand why most other mountain ranges get, get measured against the, the beauty of the European Alps. Mm. Uh, so we were just really excited to to do that, that trip. As we did that, we took off on, on our first day. We started at a place called uh, Champé Lac, and this was in Switzerland. And we hiked uh, uh, down through a, a town and had a, a beautiful meal uh, in this town, and then took off, found a place to spend the night. And uh, on the second day, you know, we just had this, this great experience. Most of it was downhill. There were uh, a variation that we could do. We could take uh, the Grand Col of La Fouille uh, into Italy, or we could take the Petite Col. Uh, and, and I looked at that and I thought, oh, that looks like the road less traveled. That's what I want to do. I said, hey, Bonnie, what do you think? She's, oh, yeah, wh- whatever. So we start climbing up this Petite Col. And a col is just kind of a, a, a pass as, as you're going uh, through the mountains. And in my heart, it, it was just um, being filled like I've never felt felt before. And the energy that I felt and, and just the excitement of, of climbing up this this uh, this mountainside and, and the beauty was just breathtaking. And, and I'm going faster and faster. I look over my shoulder. Oh, yeah, Bonnie's coming behind me. And I'm going fast and she's getting further and further. Finally, I, I can barely see her. I get up to the, the pole <laughs> all excited. And, and I'm like, well, where's my, oh, she's coming. Oh, I better, I'll, I'll go hike back down and, and, and grab her pack and stuff. I trashed my wife. 
she she couldn't keep this pace and and she was just really struggling with this and and so we took a, a break up on top of this coal and let her catch her breath and that kind of stuff well on the the downside they have different ratings and this one was a difficile uh difficult uh um coming down off the coal down into the valley floor it ended up trashing bonnie even more and more and i felt so bad and i was just like oh my gosh here I'm having one of my greatest days, and she's having one of her hardest days. And mm. I thought, man, this is terrible. This is terrible. Bent Gate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bent Gate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bent Gate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. BentGate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. The BearLine Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest BearLine utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical BearLine. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The BearLine Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other BearLines. Not only does the BearLine Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your BearLine Plus at 180tac.com or retailers near you. Well, we're not at our stopping place once we got down to the valley floor. We wanted to then go down this valley, and then we had to climb up another 1,000 vertical feet to get to the refugio, um, like a a hut, um, where we were going to spend the night. And I'm like, i got to figure this out. I can't just go at my pace. I really need to understand. I need to love my wife. And, And I hadn't been doing that. And through this failure, all of a sudden now, as I took every step, I'm like, what is she thinking? What is she feeling? What pace is going to be the pace that she's going to be comfortable with? And um, I had an altimeter watch. And so, you know, to try to control my enthusiasm, I kept looking at my rate of ascent. And I'm like, okay, what rate of ascent is going to work for Bonnie? And it turned out to be three meters a second is what we needed to keep. And so I kept looking at that and engaging and finally understanding what is the pace and all of a sudden now Bonnie kept getting stronger. As, as I started coming into her pace and kept keeping her pace, all of a sudden now she's like, okay, I can do this. And we got up to the, this refugio that night, and it was just beautiful. Uh, it was named after a famous mountaineer, Walter Bonanti. And um, we got in there right around dusk, had a beautiful uh, meal, 
there, woke up the next morning to a sunrise that was just spectacular. And then that next day, hiking is still to this day my favorite day uh, of hiking. We had a, a pace in which we matched each other and got to uh, enjoy this this ridge running from Walter Panati down into the next town, which is called Kumayer, and uh, and and just had a wonderful time. You know, she still her feet were a little bit trashed and so we had to you know work on uh keeping some blisters from getting any worse and things like that but we learned how to how to uh keep a similar pace in the mountains and and since then bonnie's gotten so much stronger uh with that but i've always learned to try to to keep the pace that she's keeping Mm, you know there's some uh big paradigms there so you guys have been married for maybe like 25 years at this point right it was it was 24 years 24 uh, years so this is the funny thing. You've been married for 24 years and you found her pace. I did. I did. And, and as we, the, the interesting thing that I would have never dreamt is we found it in the outdoors and now it applies to a lot of different things in our life. You know, whether it's, you know, working uh, on a budget today, we were just going through our budget and, and looking at that and trying to keep that, that with us, whether we're out doing outdoor things like kayaking or, um, just all aspects of our life. And, and so um, in a season where a lot of people give up on it, you know, 24 years, you know, empty nesters, you know, that becomes the end of the story. For us, there was just a, a, a new chapter that was written and that we were able to, um, to go. And now here we are still writing that and still really enjoying uh, being together. Hmm. That's really cool. You know, it's funny because, uh, especially in the entrepreneurial world, I mean, you had to be hard driving. And like you were saying, an 80 hour a week was a good one <laughs> because that means you didn't work a hundred. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that high pressure drive forward charge. And after 24 years of marriage, you know, this hike taught you guys how to, uh, how to blend, how to be a team, how, how to reinforce each other. And then everybody's having more fun. Yeah. I was going to say it, it is, and and as we did that, we also picked up some good back backcountry skills because when we got to that next town, we thought, okay, how are we going to do this? We were on like the first quarter of our trip or so. How are we going to make it through this the this this 110 miles? And so, like a lot of things in life, we carry a lot of extra baggage that we don't need to uh, emotional baggage. For us. You know, we could we could learn to throw some of that away. And and we did that out of our pack, too. We started looking in our packs. We said, what do we have in our packs that we're not we've not been using on these first four days, uh, three, four days? And what do we need to 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 lighten in our pack? And, and sometimes you can do it by buying the, the techie thing, you know, the, you know, the lightest spoon or the, the lightest uh, stove and those kind of things. But sometimes it's getting rid of things that just aren't important in your life and, and definitely things that we didn't need in our pack. And so we ended up uh, getting a box. Uh, we ended up uh, taking a ton of stuff out of our pack and, and taping it up, taking it down to the post office and shipping it back to the States and saying, we just don't need this. And, and I think he, um, that can happen in, in life from an emotional standpoint also. Mm. Yeah. What kind of, of baggage are we carrying around that we don't need? I call it buggage because <laughs> <laughs> that's what it does. It bugs you, you know? Um, but seriously, it lessons for life learned from a trek, right? Yeah. And it, there's something else I think, I'm sure this happened to you, 
but on the nine-day trip that I just took with my two older sons, it wasn't about quality time. It was about time and being together. And from the the quantity of time, we had amazing quality moments that we're going to remember for the rest of our lives. But even in a marriage, I think maybe especially in a marriage, Brett, people are so busy taking care of the kids and you end up with some sort of a division of labor because that's how you survive. So, you know, you've got, you know, the wife is working on this and the husband is working on that and everyone is so busy. And it's like, like they say, two ships passing in the night don't really even see each other. And that can go on for years. But then you guys take this trek and what are you going to do besides be together? Yeah. And, and I think through there, there's an abundance that that you can find in your relationship and in, in life. And, in that abundance of, of, of sharing these experiences, um, it has been great. Um, you know, we, um, picked up new skills, like for, for our lunches, we, um, instead of just having, you know, you know, gorp or jerky or something like that, next thing you know, we're grabbing a loaf of bread when we leave this town in, in Italy, uh, some, uh, speck, which is a, a, a cured meat and, and some cheese. And so now it's like a, a feast on the trail as we stop and, 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 and take our knife out and, and cut some bread and some cheese and, and some uh, of this meat, uh, cured meat, and eating that. And it's just you, you feel like a king. And, and so there's um, not to settle for, the, for that ship's passing the night, but, but realize there's an abundance that's just waiting for you out there. Mm, yeah. You know, it's funny, too. I, my mind is just racing. You're giving me all sorts of thoughts here, and I just like that we can dialogue about it. Um, you know, when you go on a trip like this, some people have, have asked me, because I, I have friends that live in the city and they have their whole lives, and, and they'll say, what do you do in the woods? How boring. There's nothing to do up there. And it kind of cracks me up because I feel so busy when I'm backpacking, preparing food, um, getting gear together, setting up camp, tearing down camp loading up the packs, or just walking, trying to get to the next destination. It seems like there's never a dull moment, but everything is fundamental. It's kind of simplified, if you know what I mean. It is, and, and, and I think it's, um, it's liberating, too, to, to realize that everything that you need to survive, you have with you. You, you have your shelter. You have your food. Uh, you have a way to have, have water. You have your clothing. I mean, you, you, you've got the, the essentials. And I think part of that, you know, packing things up and, and getting that buggage, buggage out of there is that you get back to those simple, that simpleness. Uh, and and it's, it's liberating. It, it's very fulfilling. And then it gives you an opportunity to experience, to open your eyes and to see around you. You're not just looking six inches or eight inches away at a, at a, a screen with some kind of a smartphone and, and getting to- totally enwrapped in that, your, your presence uh, in the mountains gives you an awareness of, of, of the entire world that you're in and the people that you're with. And because you don't have some of those other distractions of a TV or, or the Internet, um, the, the depth at which you can communicate and talk and share is, is huge. Yeah. You know, listeners, that is so well said. And we've been interviewing various people now for nearly two years. We're about to break 200 episodes, Brett. And that's the message. It really is. It's just what you just said. The value in getting out into nature, slowing down, getting to the fundamentals, spending 
more thoughtful time, you gain perspective, you gain health, enjoyable experiences, and amazing memories. You know, you're talking about going on this trek with your wife. It's been several years back, and it sounds like we're there now, like it's just yesterday, because this stood out in your mind, and, and you probably couldn't tell me any week of your working career prior to you know, doing something like they all just fade together. Everyday life so busy and hectic and crazy, and we don't make memories doing that. They they just fade. But man, when you uh, you take this trek with Bonnie, and you're recounting these stories like it was like it was yesterday. It it, it is, and my son uh, Ben has uh, chosen a, a career in the outdoor industry, and uh, he's uh, worked off of a ship up in Alaska. In, all the way to rock climbing, canyoneering, working with inner city youth, um, to, to adults. And, and the one thing I mentioned to him is I said, Ben, you're, you're not teaching people rock climbing. You're not teaching people canyons and anything like that. What you're doing is you're making memories. And, and I said, if, if you've got that as your perspective, I said, you'll always be successful in, in every trip that you have. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, there's got to be more to this story of the tour around Mount Blanc. So how far have we made it so far? We're two days in. We're two days in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and at this point, we, we yeah, the second day is when we had kind of our, our epiphany uh, moment. And, and then the third day, it's like we, we had this mass, you know, this great uh, uh, trekking uh, day coming into the town. We've uh, jettisoned our load. And, and now it, it's enjoying the fruits of, of that hard work. And uh, so, you know, we, we climb up the next pass up into to France and, and just beautiful views. Um, uh, you meet people along the trail. And, uh, you know, some people are going clockwise. Some people are going counterclockwise. So you get to see them sometimes more than once, which was, was fun. So you, you make some, some neat relationships. Um, you know, another lesson that we learned is we, um, left Chamonix, we were faced with the decision and, um, our decision was, uh, should we climb up to the top of this next ridge or Chamonix has, um, lift access up to the, to the ridge? Well, my, my standpoint is, is, you know, I've got to always do it by fair means. So yes, we are going to climb this ridge. But who said that you have to do that? If I want to be the one that really did the whole two rock long, do I have to? Why are there rules? (laughs) Right. Rock climbing, you see a lot of people, you know, have to come up with different rules about what they do and don't do or how they do it. And um, and it's interesting because, you know, the Olympics just came on and uh, they announced that they're going to have climbing as part of the Olympic Games. Well, with any kind of sporting event, you end up having to have rules with that and in a competition. But this isn't a competition to go around this mountain. Uh, this isn't a, a set of rules you know, to, to be able to tell somebody I did this, this route. I had to do a, a, in a certain fashion. And so knowing that, that um, we've, we've been on this, this trip, we want to finish it, um, we chose to, to take the lift access up to the top of this next ridge. And, and it gave us another you know, wonderful uh, hike along this ridge. And uh, we got to see some Chamonix uh, and some Ibex. Uh, so to see some of the wildlife uh, in these European Alps was, was really neat. And then for Bonnie, one of the, the things that she had, after we hiked on this ridge, we got to a place um, called Lac Blanc. And, um, and it was 
cloudy and misty as we got up to this this uh, next hut that we were staying at. And uh, the next morning, though, we woke up and and I opened up the shutters and I turned around and and Bonnie said it was the biggest smile that I've ever had in my life because I finally got to see the top of Mount Blanc. And it was we were just across the valley uh, from it and got to see it. And so that was so much fun to to see it. And and there was challenges along the way, too. Uh, as we left uh, Lac Blanc and, and headed uh, back down into the valley, uh, we went on a Via Ferretta, which is they call it the Iron Way or the Iron Road, where they have uh, things that you'd have to clip into and ladders that you'd have to climb down to, mm. to get the rock faces and and that was a, a challenge for bonnie that was something that uh um you know that 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 challenged her uh with it and and we've just had had wonderful meals uh, uh along the way it was really a fabulous trip and um as, as we're coming on the home stretch we're we're almost back to our starting point of uh champagne lock I, I didn't want it to end i we had just hiked a um, 110 miles, 33,000 vertical feet up and 33,000 vertical feet down. And I looked at her and all I would have needed is a little nod and we would have taken off and, and uh, we were at the junction of the Hout Rouch, which goes from Chamonix to uh, Zermatt. And I could have easily gone another 10, 10 days and, and done that. But that's on our to-do list. We haven't done that yet. And hopefully we go back uh, and see the Alps again sometime. Mm. How nice. So uh, any kind of one-off recommendations for people that want to do adventure travel and trekking in Europe? You know, um, th- there's definitely tour companies that, that, that you can do it. I just saw a National Geographic is, is advertising this same trip. And again, they do it a little bit different. You know, some of the sections they decide to, to, to bus you or use a train to get from uh, Trailhead so do, instead of doing the whole 110 miles. Um, so, you know, there's tour companies that can do that. You can do it on your own. We did that in, in September of 2009, and it was pretty easy to, to set up the reservations and to work through all the de- details uh, um, with it. Um, th- there are so many uh, ways that you can do that, but you don't have to, to go all the way to Europe if you don't want to. You know, there's hut. You can use the 10th Mountain Division uh, in the same fashion where you don't have to bring a tent. You can, um, you know, some of those, you don't even have to bring a stove. You don't, you don't even have to bring a sleeping bag. You can have just like a, a sleep sack, uh, um, a sleep sheet with it. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. So don't get into the mindset that I'm going backpacking, so it's a suffer fest. I've got to put 110 pounds on my back and, and, and you know, do 10 or 20 miles in a, in a day. Do what you want to do. Um, start out slow. Go with someone that, that um, has some skills and that can share with you. Because um, there's a lot of different ways to, to go about that. But the one thing is, is get out. And, and I, I have a cousin that uh, um, uh, spent some time in a hospital, uh, hooked up to a ventilator in an induced coma. And when mm. he came back, a, a lot, uh, came back from that, that near-death experience, um, he came back with a love of life. He lives in Mammoth Lakes, uh, California. And uh, Bonnie and I are going to be going backpacking with he and his wife uh, next month. And we're so excited to do that. Um, he he uh, runs a liquor liquor store, owns a liquor store and and uh, does it. So it's really hard for him to get away. So one, one thing he'll do is he'll get off work, have dinner, grab a pack, uh, his wife and, and dog, and they'll head out into the mountains, uh, spend the night wake up, have breakfast, and get back at lunch the next day. 
and he loves it. It, 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 he's not going to miss those opportunities. He came close to death and he doesn't want to miss that again. And so if that's all he can get a little 24 hour, uh, time in the back country, he does that and it recharges his batteries and, and he's just grateful, uh, whether it's 24 hours, whether it's nine days, like the trip that you've done, you know, 17 days, like we did in the Sikkim, um, take what you can get and, and enjoy it to the most. Oh, I love that. Biotropic is a biological sports performance booster supplement created by Craig Dinkle, an Olympic trials athlete, to help him train at higher levels more efficiently in order to gain a competitive edge. All natural and safe, Biotropic packs your body with the highest grade quality of the B-Sweet vitamins, offers blood support, higher oxygen-carrying capabilities, an ATP booster, and vasodilation, which delivers more healthy blood content to hard-working muscles. Craig has the credentials to back it up. He twice qualified for the Olympic trials, set four NCAA records, and earned 23 All-Americans. Today, he uses biotropics to help him train in the gym, scramble up mountains, and to prepare for a six-month through-hike of the Continental Divide Trail. Athletes and exercise enthusiasts, check out Biotropic at biotropiclabs.com, where our listeners can get a deep discount by using the code ADVENTURE. Never run out of camp stove fuel again. The 180 stove is a natural fuel stove that eliminates the need to carry heavy, bulky fuel canisters. With a generous 6-inch by 7-inch cooking surface, it folds away into a clean, compact, self-forming case that is small enough to fit inside your pocket. At only 10.4 ounces, the additional weight and space savings allows for other important items in your pack. Get more information at 180TAC.com and look for it in retailers near you as well as online. Anna McNuff has started doing micro-adventures in uh, the area around London in England mm-hmm. and just taking people out to spend the night and go back. And, and what people would do is they would leave work, jump on a train, go to some destination off away from the city, get out, enjoy an evening together around a campfire, spend the night, hike back to the train the next morning and show up at work. <laughs> you know, people can do that. Yeah. And uh, I, I really appreciate what you're saying about do what you can do, and uh, maybe bigger trips will follow. But I think people should not discount the value in doing what's available to us. I, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, Bonnie and I, this af- after a, a busy year of working on this cabin and in in these weddings, um, we ended up doing one of those little micro trips where we just did it just like my, my cousin did. And, uh, and it, it was fabulous, you know, just getting out. And then all of a sudden, once you do it once, you're like, okay, this is what we really want to do. And, and now we've got all of our stuff already packed. And within less than 20 minutes, we could be on the trail at a trailhead ready to go again. And, uh, and so um, as, you, as you work on your skills, you get your systems in place, you know, you have everything ready to go, then it doesn't have to be a big production and it can be a lot of fun. You know, you've done quite a bit of backpacking and you've helped to teach others how to do backpacking. And you have a lot of wilderness skills, a lot of certifications with different companies uh, that teach outdoor skills. Um, like you mentioned, your woofer certification, and and uh, you've had your avalanche training, and you've had mountain guide training, and Colorado Mountain School, winter mountaineering, leader rock climbing, ski mountaineering. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on about all the things that you've done. 
But we have a few minutes left here. I would like to try to uh, tap you as a resource to help our listeners better understand those skills you're talking about just for backpacking. You've learned so much. You've taught so much. Uh, what would you recommend for people? Tips and tricks that could help them to be uh, more comfortable, safer, have a more successful experience? You know, you know, I think in backpacking, there, there's some great resources on the Internet of, of how to get your pack weight down. <clears throat> and, and I think I would start there trying to, to, to make sure you have the, the, the right gear and, and you don't go too far with it. I grew up as a, you know, a Boy Scout, always be prepared. And, and I think I, I, I bring a lot of, used to bring a lot of things that I would never use. And with that, it, it weighed me down. So I think one is, you know, getting that, that pack list down. In, in terms of, of doing that, um, you know, there's the REIs uh, of the world, you know, the big, big box uh, um, outdoor stores. Um, but you can rent gear. You can um, uh, find used gear. Uh, you can go with people. Bonnie and I just said that uh, we want to take our son-in-law out on, on one of these trips. I don't think he's ever had a chance to to go out and do this, but I've got enough gear for him. And and so, you know, if you've got friends that have gear, that's okay. You know, borrow their gear um, and and use that when you go out. I think going out with someone uh, is, is, is a great way to come up the learning curve. Uh, someone that can kind of teach you the ropes and then, and then go slow. Um, just do that overnight. Uh, I, I do that with, um, with our dog. We have a, a new dog. So the first time we took our dog in the tent, we did it in the front yard and that's okay. You know, start slow and, and, and gain those skills. You know, um, if I haven't used a certain stove that I have in a long time, before I go in the backcountry, I'll turn that stove on uh, out on the front porch. And uh, in that way, I make sure everything's good. Uh, there's no problems with it. And I remember how to, how to prime that stove or how to use that stove. And, uh, and so, you know, practice those, the, some of those things, you know, at your home so that when you go in the backcountry, you just feel very comfortable about that. Um, and then I would say, you know, once you're starting to plan a trip, don't get over ambitious and, 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 uh, you know, try to put in a 20 mile day, uh, to do it. Uh, even, you know, just a few miles, uh, in can be enough to, to give you your confidence. And then if you have something that goes wrong, you can get back to the trailhead without having any incidents. Um, one of the things that I've learned through, through over time is to, is to go slow. You know, I, I, I've been a hard charger, and uh, the last thing you want to do, especially if you're taking someone with you for the first time out in the backcountry, is for them to have a bad experience. So set it up for some really – set people up for success, having some great experiences with that. Um, then as, as you're, you're traveling and doing things in the backcountry, um, I always try to, to do things the same way. I, I pack my pack the same way. I, you know, put, um, my water bottle in the same spot. I, I know where everything is at because if I get to a camp late and I need to set that up in the dark, I can do that because I know where all my things are and I'm not, not struggling to, to try to find something or feel or not having something that I know I need to have. Mm, those are great tips. So I'm going to go over those real fast just as a repeat. I get your pack weight down and you mentioned um, online resources for helping with that. You said <clears throat> for some of the more expensive gear, you can rent it. You can find used gear. You can also go with friends who have gear. You said go with someone more experienced because it was a great way to learn skills and to ramp up in your own skill set. Practice at home. Get your gear out and play with it. 
why do you have that gear if it's not to play with anyway, right? So play yeah. with it at home so you understand its limitations and you know what it needs to work correctly. So when you get in the woods, you, you don't have any issues with that. Don't be overly ambitious on your early trips. Try shorter distances, slower paces. Set yourself up for success so you can enjoy yourself more. And then you said uh, be routine in the way that you pack so you can lay your hands on things in the dark or in crazy situations. You don't have frustration of searching and digging. Yeah, that's all good stuff. You know, here is one that I learned on this recent trip that I just hadn't had the opportunity to uh, to have to do before. Since we were going on a long enough trip that our food was quite heavy, the food went lower in the pack. We're trying to get the weight kind of around our waistline, you know. Well, as that food bag got lighter and lighter and lighter as the days went by, my pack started feeling top-heavy. And so I started squat- switching things around to get the weight back down lower in the pack. So at the beginning of the trip, you know, our food was low. By the end of the yep. trip, the food was on top of my pack, and other heavier things were lower. And just little tricks like that to make the, the backpack more stable and, and more comfortable. I think that kind of stuff just kind of comes with experience. Yeah, and, and that's where um, asking questions and, and learning from each other, you know, people love to share their systems and so forth. And, and, and when, when you do that, that doesn't make it uh, one way right or wrong. It, try different approaches that people share with you. And then develop your own system. And, uh, you know, I, I'm one that I, I use uh, some uh, uh, stuff sacks to organize my gear. Other people, uh, you know, don't like to do that because it's, it can be somewhat inefficient in terms of how you pack your pack. And uh, they like to put everything, you know, straight into their, their backpack and use it as one big sack. Um, there's, not, there's not a right or wrong way. What works for you? And so if, if uh, you know, something like stuff sacks – is is something that you like, then use it. If you don't, then go back to a different way of, of doing things. Mm, yeah. Well, I think that comes with experience and trying different things, too, to see what works for you, right? Exactly. Let's talk about food for a minute. We're about out of time, Brett, but I, I got to get to the food thing. So on these longer trips, dehydrated backpacking food is dehydrated. What else can you say? You know, after time, especially at altitude, it's hard to get it to rehydrate completely. It takes a lot of time and effort. And you find yourself kind of shying away from it. So what do you do on longer backpacking trips to keep your stomach happy? Yeah, I think that's the creativity. You've got to do that because at, at some point, you know, I trying to eat jerky. I, I did jerky for so many years. I, I did cringe to even have jerky as some of my trail food uh, uh, for lunches. And so, um, you know, I think trying to mix it up is, is a good idea. A lot of times for uh, the breakfast, um, um, just mixing up some of your own uh, uh, granola and then adding some, some dried fruit can, can help with that. Um, for lunches, you know, I, I've really gotten away from going with GORP and, and the granola bars or energy bars and, and have gone to um, using oysters or uh, smoked salmon and, and cheese or like we did in, in, in Europe, uh, having some bread and cheese and, and dried meat or uh, cured meat um, with that. Um, you know, walk up and down the aisles of, of your grocery store. Just start looking at some things. We found some uh, some Indian food that that had a real quick prep time. That was basically heated it up in in in, in packages and boiling water, and then mix it all together. And that ended up working great. So, 
Um, there's a lot of different things that you can do, but I think variety is is the key thing, and you don't want to to get burned out with with stuff. Mm. So they, that's always the challenge is the variety sounds wonderful, but with that variety comes more weight. And so for me, that's always the challenge. How much weight am I willing to carry so that uh, my stomach is a little happier? In some of that, you might mix it up. So at the, you know, what I'll do is at the beginning, I might have um, some things that are not freeze dried, you know, for the first couple of days and then use that freeze dried later on uh, in the trip. So so just uh, timing and in, in, in mixing that uh, within within your uh, trip plan. Yeah. Eat the heavier stuff first and. And that way you can even have some things, some things will keep for two or three days without refrigeration. Mm-hmm. And it might be worth taking those things and eating them in the first couple of days. So, you know, Brett, I got to tell you one thing that we found wonderful on our trip. Um, I've started taking peanut butter. I throw in a stick of regular butter into, you know, a, a pint of peanut butter. And then I'll put just enough honey or molasses or, or maple syrup in it to give it a little bit of a of a sweetener, a little bit more energy. And then I add water until it's thin enough that it's easily squeezable so you don't have to choke on it to try to swallow it, right? And I put it in a squeeze tube. And, man, between meals, when we're on the trail, there's not time to stop and make a meal. And you start feeling that just I'm, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I, I have another five miles to go or whatever. That stuff was a lifesaver. I, and I, uh, when I was on uh, Denali or Mount McKinley, uh, I was really trying to keep my pack weight down, and and so I started looking at different foods. And, and I, if I remember correctly, I think peanut butter has the highest uh, caloric density. So the calories per gram or per per pound, you're you're just not going to find anything better than the peanut butter. So dolling it up like that's a great idea, and uh, to do that. And and I think in doing that, um, one of the things that I also try to do is. Um, lunch usually starts right after breakfast and finishes just before dinner. So, you know, about every, you know, two to four miles, about every hour or so, you know, we're, we're taking a short break, um, just getting some, uh, some calories and, and eating a little bit, uh, drinking some water, staying hydrated. And, and that works well. And in part of the formula that I use when I'm having those, those snacks, is is I'll I'll take some quick energy so so some simple sugars uh and and try to get some uh quick energy release then I'll also eat a little bit of fruit uh dried fruit or some carbohydrates that have kind of a mid energy release and then have some proteins that take a little bit longer to digest and will release energy um a little bit slower and uh and so there it's going to be um maybe some uh some tuna or um some of this, uh, uh, cured meat, uh, sausage or something else that that's like that. And, and that works out really well to kind of keep your energy level constant versus having, uh, spikes, uh, as you're, as you're going through the day. Mm. Well, it's gotta be a ton of fun to have the time to figure all this stuff out and to do enough trips to really know what it is that you love to do. And, you know, that's kind of my wish for all of our listeners right now is that they can get into their adventure sports and actually get them done. And, and it's easy to dream. It's easy sometimes even to buy the gear. What's hard is to find the time and to actually step out the door and and do it. But maybe people can start doing the little 24-hour adventures and build from there. And the the tips that you've given us and the stories that you've recounted are inspirational to me. But, Brett, what inspires you? What gets you up every morning? Um. <laughs> 
you know, I, I just um, am grateful for uh, for the, for a lot of life's experiences, uh, having a wife and and being able to um, to do these things. And um, as I sold my business, people thought, you know, uh, they even had a pool at, at our company. You know, within X days, weeks, maybe months, uh, I'd be starting another business. And and I, I don't. You know that 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 was a, a fun part of my life and an enjoyable part, but that is what's going to shape me. And and for for me, you know, I'm just grateful to be out in God's creation to to get to know Him at a at a deeper level and and just to to, to develop that relationship uh, um, uh, is, is special. And I, I couldn't be more grateful to have that opportunity uh, every day. And, and really I had that opportunity, opportunity before I just didn't realize it and I wasn't taking advantage of it. And, uh, um, I'm, I'm glad that I've gotten to the point where I do understand that now. Well, good words, man. Thank you very much for the time that you spent with us today. And, um, to all of our listeners out there, as always, until the next show, get out there and have some fun. You have heard all the hype around paleo, low-carb, organics, diet powders, and the like. How does one sort out what really works? Good news. Gary Collins has done the homework for you. Regain and maintain your health and live that life of vitality. Learn more at primalpowermethod.com.